Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues. And I have conversations with foreign policy thought leaders who discuss their life, career, and the big events that shape their worldview. The battle to liberate the Iraqi city of Mosul has begun. Mosul is Iraq's second largest city, and in 2014, ISIS militants took the city as Iraqi army units fled. Now, a large-scale military operation backed by the United States is underway to regain control of the city, which is situated in northern Iraq. The fight to retake Mosul may have profound domestic and regional political implications, says my guest today, Kirk Sowell. He argues in a recent piece published by the Carnegie Endowment that the operation to retake Mosul is part of a broader power struggle between Turkey and Iraq, and the conversation you are about to hear explains the political and diplomatic context in which this battle is taking place. If you believe, as Clausewitz said, that war is the continuation of politics by other means, then it behooves all of us to better understand the kind of regional, sectarian, and even parliamentary politics at play in the battle for Mosul. Now, I should say, I came to this idea for an episode uh, from you out there, from from the listeners. So I, I put a post out on Twitter asking for someone who might have an interesting take on the situation in Mosul, knowing that this was in general a topic I wanted to cover. And lo and behold, someone came back and pointed me to Kirk's piece in the Carnegie Endowment. And uh, here we are just a, a few days later. So the uh, moral of the story is follow me on Twitter. No, I'm kidding. Um, It is to send me your thoughts, ideas of topics I should cover or people I should interview uh, because I think you are a great resource. It really is. This, this is a really kind of impressive community that coalesces around this podcast. I hear from you guys every day and I learn from you guys every day. And the episode you are about to hear is just one example of how I learn from you. And so thank you guys so much for listening and for making your recommendations and, and suggestions and for getting in touch with me about whatever is on your mind. Okay, and now here is Kirk Soul, who is also the publisher of the newsletter Inside Iraqi Politics, and I've put a, a link to that up on globaldispatchespodcast.com. Here's Kirk. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. I think of the the regional power struggle that Turkey is involved in as being part of the context. But the struggle itself is not with Turkey per se, because Turkey doesn't control Mosul. Mosul is controlled by the self-proclaimed Islamic State, or IS, ISIS, ISIL. Uh, There is, however, a broader power struggle. And that power struggle has, to this point, been managed more through, you know, political alliances and contracts. So, for example, uh, in the Kurdistan region, uh, the 
northern two most provinces of Iraq, Erbil and Duhok. Uh, these areas are dominated by the Kurdistani Democratic Party, led by Masoud Barzani. And he is, there's a patron-client relationship between Barzani and, and Turkey, Turkish President uh, Recep Tayyip Erdogan. Uh, so, you know, the, and, and the the protectorate, if you will, it's kind of a neo-Ottoman protectorate, um, it involves military agreements, uh, It's but it's mainly economic in terms of uh, the export of oil. Uh, and, of course, there's a political tie that cements this as well. So now if we move over to Nainawa and just from a geographic standpoint, Nainawa is also in northern Iraq. Uh, it's immediately to the west of these provinces I mentioned. So Erbil and Duhok, as you move northward, um, are at the top part of Iraq. And then to the west, the northwestern Iraq, this is this is Nainawa. Uh, and they, they, in Nainawa borders uh, both Turkey and, and Syria. So when, you, when we move to Nainawa, um, it's a majority Sunni Arab province. There's parts of it which are also dominated by the KDP. I mentioned Barzani's party, the Kurdistani Democratic Party. When I say K KDP, I mean the Kurdistani Democratic Party. Uh, there, there are parts of Nainawa that are populated by Kurds or you know Christians, other non-Arab Sunni Arabs, uh, which were controlled militarily by the KDP forces. Uh, you know, prior to June 2014, when Mosul fell uh, to the Islamic State. Mm -hmm. uh, so there, there's, it's a majority Sunni Arab province, and their proxy there is naturally going to have to be a Sunni Arab leader. And so there's there's a, a family, the Nujafi family. Uh, the, the elder, there's two brothers. There's an older brother um, who is a former speaker, former vice president. His name is Osama al-Nujafi. Uh, there's a younger brother, Uthil al-Nujafi. Um, and uh, Uthil al-Nujafi uh, was governor up until last year when he was removed by parliament. So it's, it's a proxy war, and it's a struggle uh, that so far, fortunately, has not been a, a shooting struggle between Turkey and Iraq, but it's a struggle through the building of political alliances and the signing of oil contracts and that kind of thing. And, and it's manifest itself as a, as a context between the, the KDP and the Najwafi family. Nujafi. Nujafi family, pardon me. Right. Okay, so those two are allies. Okay. They're, okay. So, so they're both essentially clients of Turkey. Okay. Uh, pri prior to 2010, the Nujafis have have basically always been clients of Turkey, essentially. But Turkey's policy changed um, back in the 2009, 2010, 2011 period. There was a change in policy um, under Erdogan, uh, whereby. Instead of viewing the, the Iraqi Kurds as hostile and anything they did, Erdogan decided to bring them under his wing, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So in other words, prior to 2010, Erdogan was just opposing anything that Barzani did. He viewed him as a warlord, an illegitimate – he wouldn't deal with him. He viewed him as sort of an illegitimate actor, not even a legal, uh, a legal actor, if you will. Um, but then, you know, he, he changed, and, and some of this had to do with natural resources because uh, northern Iraq, including uh, Iraqi Kurdistan, is rich in oil and gas reserves. And so the idea was to form an alliance. Now, this is not an alliance of equals. Uh, Erdogan is the senior partner. Barzani is the junior partner. That's why I describe it as patron-client. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time, the Nujafis, now in, in 2009 – 
was the year that Uthil Anujafi, and that's spelled N-U-J-A-Y-F-I for those wondering, um, Uthil Anujafi was elected governor in 2009 on an Arab nationalist platform, sort of anti-Kurdish platform, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the reason that I've, I basically concluded, that, you know, he's essentially a, a Turkish proxy, is that he flipped on a dime when when Turkey's policy changed, Nujafi's policy changed, and so they allied with Barzani. So okay. you can think of Barzani and Nujafi. Uh, I, I don't know. There are different ways you can think about it. You know, uh, hub and spoke, or you know, two different clients of the same patron. But Barzani's a Kurdish leader. Uh, the Nujafis are, are Sunni Arab, uh, and if everything worked out the way Turkey wanted. They would have these two areas, two territorial areas, which are legally, um, juridically part of Iraq. However, effectively under a kind of Turkish uh, neo-imperial, if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. neo-Ottoman uh, Turkish protectorate. And 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 so that is is sort of one side. Um, who is uh, the, the Iraqi government uh, aligning with? Okay, so the Iraqi government, it's kind of hard to explain succinctly because it's just that there's no majority government. So it's a parliamentary system, but it's not like, you know, in Britain, for example, where even when they don't have a majority, the, the last British government, they still had a coalition agreement. There were two parties. And they had a specific agreement, and, and they both had to cooperate and so on. Uh, they don't really – the Iraq part of the reason the Iraqi government is so dysfunctional is because they don't have anything like that. There's no uh, one party that's strong enough to be a dominant party. So it's a collection of different factions that share ministries, that sort of distribute ministries amongst themselves. Mm-hmm. So you know, because Iraq is, is Shia majority – uh, the prime minister, who is the commander in chief, uh, is is de facto going to be uh, someone Shia. Um, Haider al Labadi is the current prime minister, mm-hmm. uh, and then of course the, the the Sunni Arabs and the Kurds also have ministries. The difference is that the Kurds also have this autonomous region in the north. So the 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 other side, the other point of view, sort of which you know the the sovereignist or centralist point of view, um, is that. Essentially, you know, Nainawa is, is, is juridically part of Iraq. Um, this is a violation of Iraq's sovereignty, and Turkey can't just behave like it was, you know, France and Algeria in the 19th century or something. Um, and and, and Turkey certain... has, has bases there, correct? Okay, so there's there's two different things, and Abadi himself, you know, will make this distinction. Others will make this distinction. Turkey has had bases in northern Iraq going back – um, into the 1990s, um, I'm thinking early 90s. I can't remember precisely when, but essentially these were bases, very small bases. These are not bases in the sense that we would think of as a military base because they're 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 pretty small, kind of like outposts uh, sort of thing. Yeah, they're, they're they're almost more like glorified outposts essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not what what we would consider to be like a, a, a base, a military led base, you know, like mm-hmm. an army base. But something presumably that Abadi finds you know, offensive in, in in some way. Well, here, here's the distinction. There have been these military bases, most of which are concentrated in northern – in Duhok in the north along the Hamrin Mountains. Um, and 
these are not as offensive to the rest of the country. First of all, because their their political purpose of these bases that have been there since the 1990s is to fight the PKK, the Kurdistan Workers Party. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is a the Tur- this is a ethnically Kurdish, but from a nationality standpoint, Turkish um, um, insurgent group, um, which is obviously you know it's Turkish, but they use northern Iraq and at times Syria as a base. Mm-hmm. So these older bases formed in the 1990s are not aimed at, are not really uh, aimed at creating a sphere of influence. They're mainly aimed at helping Turkey fight the PKK. And the PKK is a political rival of Barzani's KDP. I mean, they're both Kurdish, but they're rivals politically. Mm-hmm. So Barzani is, you know, of course, Bar- Barzani has long been fine with this. It couldn't happen. I mean, uh, he'd, he'd be in a war with Turkey if he weren't fine with it. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. But then this base at Beshika, th- this sort of – they brought these, um, you know, heavy equipment, new soldiers down in December of 2015. So this is just last December. This new base, um, you know, this is just, you know, 10, 11 months. It was established. They came down. The deployment was on December 3rd of last year, as I remember. So not not a full year yet. This base is just right outside of Mosul. And its main goal is to train a proxy force uh, run by Nujavi. Mm-hmm. And so the idea was to have them play a major role in liberating Mosul and thus help Nujavi get back into office. Mm-hmm. This is why this is why like Baghdad makes a distinction. So they don't say like I mean it was the former regime as well as Barzani, that accepted these old Turkish bases. And there was actually a treaty at one point that, that allowed them to do this. Uh, but, you know, the, the new Iraq, post-2003, politicians of Baghdad, they basically just say, look, they don't put it precisely this way. They're like, look, we're not agreeing to this, but we're not going to worry about it. It doesn't bother us that you have these little bases in the north because, frankly, Baghdad doesn't have any control there anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this base in Bashika, it's part of this effort to extend Turkey's uh, sphere of influence to Nainawa province as a whole. And this is enormously opposed, um, especially through Shia Iraq, but also there are many Sunni Arabs who are strongly opposed to it. There are also Kurds who are rivals of Barzani uh, mm-hmm. who are opposed to it. So it's you know probably 85, 85% of the population is opposed to it. So, so can I ask then, so how will um... – this dynamic and 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 this sort of competition, uh, as it were, between you know uh, Turkish influenced forces and Iraqi government forces, come to a head in in the battle uh, for Mosul. Well, as long as the Turks don't push it, it won't come to a head. Uh, so they'll just sort of sit there. And right now, even though Abadi has made it clear, he he said this a couple of times, we have the right to use military force against Turkey. But we're trying to use diplomatic means. So as long as the Turks just sit there and you know their proxy force doesn't do anything and so forth, they haven't done anything, it won't come to a head. There will be a standoff. And you know, so one analogy is, you know, think of you know Cyprus, right? I mean, you can have a frozen conflict that just goes on for a very long time. This, you know, it could be, you know, a decade from now, they could still be there. It may, it may never come to a head, frankly, uh, but the result is that you know Turkey will not achieve its objective. So it's just how stubborn 
Um, and it's not like here, here's another thing to bear in mind is that this territory only has value. I mean, without Mosul, you have no political control. Mosul is the capital of Nanawa. But the territory itself sits on oil reserves, including contracts signed by ExxonMobil uh, about four years ago in late 2012. So there's just as there is an oil and gas factor in the relationship between Barzani uh, and, and Turkey, with Nanawa there is as well. And Nanawa's to my knowledge, and I'm I'm not an oil expert, but my I, what I think is what I think is the case is that there are no major oil reserves in Nanawa in the Sunni Arab areas. They're all in these areas outside the Sunni Arab areas that the Kurds controlled prior to 2014, which they're now retaking. And this mm-hmm. is this is contra- this is controversial um, in the south. The fact that the Peshmerga is using the offensive to defeat the Islamic State in Mosul for their own interests to take this territory and keep it for themselves and basically annex it into Kurdistan. Um, so, so can I ask them, what um, are some of the, the broader international relations implications of the, the liberation of, of Mosul? Okay, so I mean, in terms of like American foreign policy, U.S. foreign uh, policy, region and, and regional politics. As far, as far as American foreign policy is concerned, obviously this is extremely symbolic for the Obama administration. Um, you know, IS is not going to be completely extinguished by the time Obama leaves in January, but it's being pushed back and losing Mosul. I mean, this would be like a feather in Obama's cap. It's you know, get getting them to lose Mosul and Raqqa are the only two cities of any importance, which Islamic State still controls. So, you know, from U.S. foreign policy concern, that, that's important. Uh, it also, you know, knocks the shine off of, of their attractiveness because part of the, the reason that IS is able to attract followers is because they're able to convince people that the, the true caliphate um, and, that you know, everyone likes a winner. Well, they're not looking like a winner these days. They're looking like a loser because uh, they're losing ground and territory in Syria. They're losing ground in Iraq. Um, their, their so-called caliph is not able to come out and show his face. So they're not looking like, looking like winners. So from, you know, and and this is not just about Obama, this is sort of a bipartisan foreign policy interest in knocking the shine off of this group's, um, shine off of this group's image, uh, and, and kicking them out of Mosul. As far as other countries in the region are concerned, aside from Turkey, none of the other countries actually care all that much. There's no other country... Uh, you know, Qatar and Saudi Arabia are involved in supporting Sunnis in the region, mm-hmm. but Saudi Arabia has closer ties to Anbar. Um, there's there's no particular – there's no other country that has any kind of special interest in Mosul except for Turkey. Um, and, and presumably though, there are, are some important domestic political considerations in Baghdad for how the operation uh, against uh, ISIS in Mosul actually unfolds. Um, could you, I guess, game out a, a few different scenarios? Uh, you know, it, you know, it, it, it seems, um, you know, that you have these, these competing militias, some of which were, were, are, are, uh, I guess, backed by the former president, Nuri al-Maliki, uh, who right. isn't, you know, in, in comp- a competitor of the, the current president, uh, uh, al So I, I guess, how does the actual battle for Aleppo, uh, affect politics in, in Baghdad more broadly. 
Okay, so here's the thing to understand. Regarding the Shia militias, they don't really care about Mosul per se. But there's another town in Nineveh that's that's to the west. It's between, between Mosul and, 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 Syria, and the Syrian border uh, called Talafar, or Talafar in English. Um, now, for anyone who's read about the U.S. experience in, in, in Iraq, um, you know, this is, for example, this is where uh, David Petraeus had his first command. Um, and we, you know, literally had to uh, fight over it twice. Uh, so Talafar is, a, you know, or Talafar um, is, is an important city. The reason it matters to the Shia militias is that it's the only city in Nainawa that has a substantial Shia population. It's mostly Turkmen who are ethnically related to the Turks, but some of them are Sunni and some of them are Shia. And the Shia Turkmen, even though they're ethnically related to the Turks, you know, sect, sect overrides ethnicity. So they're, they're, the Shia Turkmen are hostile to Turkey. The Sunni Turkmen are sort of, you know, allied or basically clients also, like Najafi and Barzani, of Turkey. So the, the Shia militias, basically what they want to do is set up a base and that, you know, that gives them like a, a hub in northern Iraq. Um, aside from that, there's there's sort of a media war. Maliki is framing the whole thing as sort of like a war against the Kurds and against Turkey. And th- this is a problem for Barzani, excuse me, for Abadi, Prime Minister Abadi, because on the one hand, he's taking a strong stand against the Turkish presence. But on the other hand, he's working with Barzani. And those two are actually allies. And so if there's a perception that Abadi has made concessions, gone soft on, on Barzani and the KDP, uh, you know, Maliki might be able to take advantage of that, um, you know, because they, they basically they said, well, they're engaging in ethnic cleansing against Sunni, against Arabs. He wouldn't say Sunni Arabs. He would just say Arabs, mm-hmm. ethnic cleansing of Arabs and, and, and so on. So this does have very strong reverberations. It, it also will help Abadi just to have the victory under his cap, right? I mean, this Abadi's, um, if Abadi is going to have a political future, he needs to be viewed as a winner, as a military leader. Uh, you know, he has he has you know no military background personally at all, uh, so it it has ramifications in that regard as well. So, so I guess finally, how do you see the next few months uh, play out in, in terms of of sort of the, the the Battle of Mosul and its broader sort of effect on on the politics in the region? Well, this is going to go on for a while. I mean, unless IS decides to truly leave, unless they just all pack up and leave. Assuming they actually defend it, which it looks like they're going to defend at least parts of it, uh, this is not going to be over next week. Uh, it's not going to be over next month. I mean, it it, it could take you know, based comparing it to battles in much smaller cities. I mean, this could potentially drag on for several months. I mean, it could be January, February, March, uh, depending on you know how how dug in IS fighters are, how many of them are willing to go down you know, fighting and dying and all of that. Um, so it, it's hard to predict uh, what would be very bad for a baddie, obviously, is if, if, it's, if it doesn't go well, the army doesn't perform well, and it looks like the Kurds are the only ones benefiting. That'll be very bad for a baddie. Um, and then obviously, you know, if it goes badly, it doesn't look good for the United States as well. Uh, but I mean, eventually, the, the numerical advantage is so huge um, the Iraqi side is going to win. As long as they just keep pushing forward, they have such a massive – they have a numerical advantage of probably like 15 to 1. Uh, so including the Kurds, you know, 20 to 1. 
so they, they will clearly win as long as they keep pushing forward. Uh, it's just a question of you know how messy is this going to be. Uh, all right. Well, Kirk, thank you so much for your time. This was fascinating. Okay. You're welcome. All right. Thank you all for listening. That was uh, fascinating. Um, you know, it's, it's often easy to neglect the domestic political context in which the decisions to wage these kinds of battles are are made and the domestic politics at play. You know, it's that old Tip O'Neill-ism. Uh, he was the Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives and represented for a long time the college town uh, in the college I went to, Tufts University in Medford, Massachusetts. But anyway, he, he said all politics is local, and that is a maxim that can apply, I think, universally and is certainly uh, the case here uh, in the battle for Mosul. All right, we will see you next week. Bye.